Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 62 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 10th of July 2011, entitled Scriptural Salvation, Part 3. And the Bible readings are taken from the book of Jude, verse 1, and verse 20 to 25, and 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You'd like to open your Bible, first of all, to 1 John chapter 5. Then with your finger there, turn over what well, should be about two pages in your Bible to the book of Jude. Of course, the book of Jude has been our basis for this series in which this is the 62nd sermon now on contending for the faith. And as we're looking at the fundamentals of that faith which we are to contend for, this is the third part of what we simply call scriptural salvation. I invite you to stand as we first of all look into... Jude, and verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, notice who he's writing to. He says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and notice this next word, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Then look over into verse 20. He says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, and to him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. In 1 John chapter 5, the Word of God says, beginning in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God, notice this, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. 
He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. He says that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not a sin unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know, listen, that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, that we can be here in your house this morning. And Father, even as we gather here, we know that there are many, even that call you by name and belong to you. Lord, that are not here or anywhere this morning. Lord, taking apart this time that's been set aside, this day that has been set aside for you, the Lord's day. Father, thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you for the place, for the privilege, for the freedom. Thank you, Lord, for those many that have gone before us, that have held the ropes, that have made it possible for us to be here today. Thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, for in him alone we know it's all possible. Now, Father, as we look into your word once again today, please speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us that which you would have us to see, to hear, to act upon. Father, you know the hearts of everyone here this morning. Lord, if there be one here in this congregation this morning that's never truly been saved, then I pray, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them this day, and Lord, that they would recognize that, that your conviction would be so real that, Father, they could not get away from it. Father, I pray that if there be one here that belongs to you. But Lord, they are not walking where they need to walk. They have distanced themselves. They are not truly committed to you with their whole lives, with their whole being. There are things that have come in their life, Lord, between you and them. I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray that they would be drawn back to that position that they need to be in in you. For every believer here today, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to understand. Help us to be encouraged Help us to realize what we have 
in our salvation by your grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. For it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we find that in the whole context of everything that Jude is writing to us and encouraging us to contend for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And we've said before that that faith that he's speaking about there encompasses all that God has given, all the faith, all that God has given to us in what we call Christianity. But folks, there is only one way. That faith must first be put into action through saving faith, which is precisely where we'll be going, God willing, next week if I get through what I need to here this morning. What is true saving faith? This, the third sermon in this series on scriptural salvation, though, I want you to recognize this chapter here begins and closes with salvation. Everything else is between it because outside of salvation, folks, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what you believe about God. It doesn't matter how deep your theology goes. It doesn't matter how educated you are in these things. It doesn't matter how spiritual you can act. It doesn't matter what you do. If you have not been scripturally saved, nothing else matters and nothing else will matter. We find that if we are scripturally saved though, and remember, we've looked at two things already. A scriptural salvation is first of all a sound salvation. It is biblically sound. It is based upon the word of God. It's not based upon what any church or any denomination or anyone says, and it's not based upon what you might think with all of your best intentions in all of the world. It's based upon what God says. And we found that as we look there in what a biblically sound salvation is, that any biblically sound salvation, and there's only one, that it will begin by considering the condition of the sinner. We're all lost. No one, no one falls outside of it. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, I love, you know, I love the passage when John himself said, he said that he died for our sins, not for our sins only, that he was a propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifice was sufficient. It was enough because it considered the condition of every sinner. It also considered the consequences of that. Sin can only lead to one place, and that's death. I, I, I get amazed. I'm saddened. It's serious. We hear so much today. Matter of fact, there's whole great grand new controversy that's, that's begun now over the reality of hell. Now, we went through that series already in this because we've got many out there that would say to us that, you know, there is no way that a loving God would make a place like hell and send people there and that be a God of love. They say, you know, that doesn't work. So therefore, they try to go and say that, well, hell is just, something that the church has made up to scare everybody into their religion. Folks, do you realize this? You don't understand 
the love of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. You don't understand sin. You don't understand that before God ever designed us, before God ever formed this place, he had already planned and made preparations for your salvation. Now, men debate theologically on when it was that Satan fell from heaven. And that's another debate for another day, and it's not our sermon today. But I'll tell you one thing that I know for sure. Satan had made his fall before Eve was tempted by him there in the garden, and that Satan fell into that temptation. He'd already fallen. There's no question. He's the one that was there, the great tempter. Do you realize this? The Bible teaches us hell had already been prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil was the one that rose against God. The devil in all of his pride thought he could take God's place. Can you comprehend this? A place either is one of two things. It either is sinless or it has sin present. Now the simple truth is, one sin or all the multi-million billion sins that have ever been compiled in the world, it makes no difference. One sin brings with it death. Now either God could have no heaven, or God had to have a heaven and a hell. Folks, sin can't go there. Nobody can go there with sin in their lives. Heaven cannot exist. One sin there, no more heaven. Can you comprehend this? There is no in-between, sinless or sinful. There's nothing in between. Can we grasp this? If we can begin to understand sin, hell has to exist because it's the only place. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. It's where death and hell will be cast into one day. It's the place where sin exists. If you've got a heaven without any of the tarnishes of sin, then can we understand all hell is, is the results of sin. <laughs> it's the place where sin exists. It's the place where Satan exists. What kind of a place can it be? And God prepared and did everything that he could out of the greatest love that is beyond our imagination to keep you or anybody else from going there with Satan and his angels where sin will exist, where we will exist in our sin if that sin is not dealt with. We find that nothing else we're talking about here makes any difference. I want to tell you, as a preacher, any time that I have to preach on hell, it's not a joyful thing to talk about. I find no joy in that. But I want to challenge you something else. You think sometimes that I can get plain or some other preacher can get plain? Go back and reread. Go back and reread what Jesus said in the Word of God. Jesus didn't piddle around with sin. He didn't try to cover it over and make it sound nicer than it was. As a matter of fact, do you realize that Jesus Christ loved us so much that when he spent his years here upon this earth, he spoke more about that place called hell than he did that place called heaven. Why? Because he came to keep you from going there. Everything that he's done is to keep you out of there. 
And yet he's the one, time and again, that talks about it and describes it and tries to paint a picture for us because I got news for you. They think that I paint hell as a bad place and they don't understand sin. They don't understand the consequences of sin. They don't understand Satan because everything, everything that is not holy and righteous in love with God is going to be there. Folks, we can't begin to understand what that place is like. But we can't begin to understand that what God has done in loving us to keep us from there. And Jesus came. And if you want to know something else, when you start reading what Jesus said, notice this too. He spoke a whole lot plainer, probably a lot harsher than I would ever have the nerve to, to those that were the religious group, the ones that were supposed to be right with God than the lost people that didn't know better. I'm saying to you today, folks, there is only one salvation. This world wants to make something that's just soft pedal. They want to do away with the doctrines of God. They want to do away with the doctrines of God's word because they're not comfortable with them. Well, I'm not comfortable with them. I don't enjoy having to go there. I don't think Jesus enjoyed having to go there. But pretending they don't exist or trying to wipe them out of the word of God in some way is not the answer. Do you realize what the Bible said to us here? Plainly, when he's talking to us about contending for the faith, over there in verse 23, he said, and in verse 22, he said, and of some have compassion, making a difference, Showing that love. But notice what he says in the next verse. And others save with, what's that word in your Bible? Fear. Doing what? Pulling them out of the what? The fire. This is God's word. This is what God is saying. Yes, we've got to have compassion. Yes, we've got to have love. That's what it's all about. But some of them literally need to be pulled out of the fire. Some of them need to recognize there's got to be a place for the devil, for his angels, for sin, and for those that will not do something about that sin in their lives. That is their choice. God hasn't made that choice. But we need to warn them. By pretending it isn't so is not the answer. Yes, we need to reach out with love and compassion, and we're not trying to do anything. But again, that's where the Word of God says we're going in the days that we're going. And I'm afraid that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because it's going to get better when the trumpet sounds for us that are called out of here. And it's going to get better here on this earth at the end of that seven years of great tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back with his church and he sets up his kingdom here upon this earth and he takes the throne and he reigns for a thousand years as it should be. But folks, until then, it's not going to get easier. And I'll tell you something else. You're not going to become more popular. You're going to become less popular if you dare to take a stand and witness and preach and teach of things that the world is not comfortable with. But that's where we are. I could say so much. In our passage here in 1 John chapter 5, remember we said that a scriptural salvation, it is a sound salvation because it's based upon the word of God. It deals 
with the condition of the sinner, with the consequences of our sin. It deals with the conviction of the spirit because nobody can come without Holy Ghost conviction. People think, well, I'll better my ways when I feel like it some other day when I'm ready to give up on this and I'm ready to change this and I'm ready to change that. No, if you don't come when the Holy Spirit is convicting you and drawing you, you'll never come because you will never want to come on your own. The Holy Spirit is sent here for that purpose to reprove us of that sin, to convict us of that sin. And if you think there's enough goodness in you to convict yourself, you've got another thing coming. Scriptural salvation, it is. A salvation that considers the condition of the sin or the consequences of the sin, the conviction of the Spirit, and the conversion to the Savior. True repentance is going to take place. We're going to go to him in one way and one way only, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and we talked about all of that. Scriptural salvation is not only a sound salvation. We saw last week that it's a sure salvation. If we have surety of our salvation, we can have surety because of God's word. We can have surety only if it's biblically based. If we've got surety of our salvation, because we know that it's scripturally sound, then I'm asking you, how secure can we be in that salvation? How secure can we be that it, that it will last, that we won't lose it or misplace it somewhere along the way, that we'll not make the mistake that one moment in time when we shouldn't, that we will persevere until the end. You see, it's only, only in true scriptural salvation that we can ever have an absolute secure salvation. Harry Ironside, one of the great preachers of bygone years, he said that salvation was like Noah inviting a pagan in his day to place his trust in God's word and God's promise and come to the ark. He said some view salvation like Noah offering that sinner a peg to hang on to on the outside of the boat through all the storm, through everything that was going on, and just hope that he could hang on till the storm was finished, till he got to the end rather than inviting him inside the ark where he was protected from the storms. Folks, salvation is not dependent upon our holding on to God, but on being securely held by the Lord Jesus Christ, by being securely in the Lord Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer, the great London preacher, wrote about two Germans that wanted to climb the Matterhorn. So they hired three guides, and they began their ascent at the steepest, most slippery part of the mountain. So the men roped themselves together. They had one guide, one traveler, one guide, one traveler, one guide. They'd gone a little way up the side when the last man, the fifth man, who was one of the guides, he lost his footing and slipped. Well, he 
was held there temporarily because the other four still had their footing. He was tied to them. Each of them had a toehold in one of the niches there in the, in the mountainside. But then the fourth man slipped too. And man, when he slipped, he pulled down the two above him because of the certain yank. So now there's four guys dangling and there's only one that's hanging on on the side of the mountain. But you see, he was able to hold because he had driven a spike deep into that ice. He was able to hold his ground until all the men beneath him were able to regain their footing. F.B. Meyer went on concluding his story by drawing a spiritual application. He said, I'm like one of those men who slipped, but thank God, I'm bound in a living partnership to Jesus Christ himself because Jesus stands, because Jesus can't fall. I can never perish. We need to get that through our heads. Folks, I know, I know there are those that believe that you can be saved and you can lose it and you got to find it again and you can lose it and you got to find it somewhere again. But I'm saying that is not scriptural salvation. Scriptural salvation that we have looked at in God's word. Scriptural salvation that is sound because it's biblically based that is sure it will be secure because it's in Jesus Christ and him alone. We ought to be thankful. Our security isn't dependent upon us. Our salvation, when we get saved, is totally, completely, 100% by God, by his grace, and totally, completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as surely the security of our salvation, it's not in me either. It's totally by that same grace of God and it's just as surely in Christ as my salvation was. We've just read here in 1 John chapter 5 and boy, we could go back and we could do a, a whole series just on that chapter. But as we read through, I pointed and called your attention a couple of times there to the passage that spoke of our security, our eternality, our perseverance, that those that truly believe will persevere. It's not a matter of having to hang on and you persevering. It's a matter that if you're truly saved in scriptural salvation, if you truly belong to him, if you're truly in Christ and not just in some religion that may call itself Christianity, you will make it to the end because of the fact that you're in him. The perseverance of the saints is not about the saint hanging on. It's not about the saint keeping himself from slipping and falling along the way. It's about a biblically sound salvation in which we can be absolutely sure and as a result, knowing, knowing, I don't know if you realize how many times we read the word, but we know, and we know, just in that one chapter, knowing that we are in Christ, 
And therefore, if I am in Christ, if I'm bound to Christ, there is no other option except for me to persevere until the end. There is no option of failing. There is no option unless I'm not really in him. You see, without that biblically sound salvation, without that surety and that alone, there can be zero security. There is no security outside of it. But in true scriptural salvation, there can only be absolute security. Any other is simply not scriptural. How can you say that, preacher? Because the scriptures say that. That's what I want to mainly give you just a few of this morning. I don't want you to go away from here thinking, well, our preacher believes that, you know, I guess one of the favorite terms is once saved, always saved. Well, yeah, I do believe that. Our preacher believes in this eternal salvation. You know, I had, I had a guy ask me one day. He said, he said, you're talking crazy. He said, you mean you believe that just because that you've been saved, that you could be out there and, 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 and I won't repeat the horrid sin that he said that I would be in and be called in at the same moment that the trumpet sound and Jesus come back. He said, you think you'd still go to heaven if he came back and caught you in that condition? So, well, I'd hope and pray that he'd never come back and catch me in that condition. That's why we should be looking for him any moment, every moment of the day. But I didn't get saved because of what I did or didn't do. I got saved because of him. And it's because of him that I'll go to heaven one day. I believe this, folks. The Bible doesn't paint eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Is not a license to sin. It's not something that says, okay, You've said your little prayer. You've gone through and got dunked. You got your name on the church roll now. Just go out and do what you want to do, and you're okay because you're a Christian. That's not what it says. Matter of fact, you better be very careful because as a sinner, you can go out and you can live any way you want to. You can do what you want to. You can do it how you want to, and guess what? As a sinner... Man, you're going you're gonna to reap some fleshly fun out of a lot of that stuff. You're going you're gonna to enjoy a lot of that filthy stuff. But you're going to pay the consequences of it one day. Because with that, there is only one price. And I don't care what a lot of the world wants to say out there today. The Bible says it's death. And the Bible says that death is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, that's God's word. If you want to take some man's over that and think that it's man trying to paint it up, then that's your choice. But be careful where you go. That's for a lost person, a saved person. If you're truly saved, I want to tell you something. If you can go back out there and if you can live that old sinful lifestyle, and you still like it, you still like spending your time in those places of the world, you still like spending your time with all those worldly sinful people. Hey, we got to win them to Christ, folks. That's no excuse to go out there and be in their sin with them. You bring them onto your turf. You go to them and you witness to them, but you don't go out there and have fun with them in their sin and pretend that somehow that that makes it okay. Matter of fact, the Bible says if he loves you, if you belong to him, he will chasten you. 
You can't just sin and get away with it. God can do all these wonderful things, but if we're going to live that kind of a life, we're going to pay for it. Matter of fact, when he chastens you, if you don't listen, you know, can you ever be that hard-headed if you don't listen to somebody? Can you actually be hard-headed enough not to listen to God? Well, if any of us are honest, we all know that we probably all have somewhere along the line. He's tried to show us something clearly. He's tried to put us where he wants us. We've decided to do things our way anyway. Simple truth is, God loves you. Simple truth is, God says, you know, man, if he chastens you, if you want to continue that way, well, he gives us a great illustration the church of Corinth where they would just, well, there's no point in leaving him here on earth. I'll just turn him over to Satan for destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved in the day of the Lord. He didn't lose his salvation. No point in leaving you here, though, if that's the kind of testimony that your life is going to be. We're playing with fire. Man, it's, it's not a question. <laughs> it doesn't amaze me, the terror of the Lord, the chastisement of the Lord. <laughs> What amazes me is the grace of God. I, if I were God, I'd have struck me down a long time ago. If I were God, I would, I would have given up on me and quit loving me a long time ago. I don't understand how God's grace and mercy and compassion can be so grand. Well, folks, let's not play games with him. We find that a true salvation is a secure salvation. Let me give you a few scriptures. We've read, we've read from 1 John Time is getting away. I'm just going to read these to you with very little comment because if anything today, I want you to leave here knowing that, well, whatever God says is salvation, what God does is forever. When it's true biblical salvation, it's not only sure, but it is secure for that word that we can never get our head completely around for all of eternity, not just for time alone, but for all of eternity. You don't even have to turn for the, uh, for the first verse in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son to the most gruesome death that's ever been faced, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that's in hell, by the way, but have what kind of life? Eternal. Folks, that's not so that he can have life now until he messes up again. So that he can have life until he doesn't deserve it anymore. We never deserved it in the first place. Just a few pages over in your Bible in the Gospel of John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. And notice what he says in verse 24. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus speaking, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting. You know, if, if we're not sure what eternal means, he's talking everlasting. It lasts forever. It has no end. Everlasting life. And shall not come into what? and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The Bible says those that hear his word, those that believe on him, 
those that are truly converted have everlasting life and they will not come in a future tense into any condemnation. They have everlasting life right now and there is no future tense of condemnation for them. Notice what he says in the next chapter, in chapter 6. He says in verse 37, Jesus said, And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Not only do you have eternal life, everlasting life right now, and there is no future condemnation, but there is a future resurrection, praise God. That's what true salvation, biblical salvation, scriptural salvation has to look forward to a few pages over and still in John in chapter 10. Notice what he says, picking up in verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them, what is that next word? Eternal life. And then notice, and they shall, what's that next word? Never what? Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I've given them eternal life. I've given them a life that has completely outside of time, that lasts for all of eternity. In the future tense, they will never, ever. It doesn't say they won't perish as long as they hang on. If I've given them eternal life, they'll never perish and nobody will pluck them out of my hand. Nobody will take them away from me. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In other words, they've got to be more powerful than God to be able to get you out of his hand once you're there. And Jesus said, I and my Father are what? One. Can't get you from him, can't get you from me. We're all one. And if you're there, you're there forever. Notice what the Apostle Paul, when writing to the church at Philippi, notice what he said in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, being confident, knowing with certainty that when he's begun that work, he's not going to leave you off. He's gonna, not going to leave it undone. If he's begun that work, he'll perform it until the day the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for you. Notice just a few pages over in 2 Timothy, Paul was writing to young Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 12. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffered these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Why? He said, For I know whom I have believed, 
and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I'm persuaded. I know that he's going to be able to do it. He's going to be able to keep it. He's going to be able to do what he's promised to do against that day. My confidence, you notice in all of this, Jesus was giving us the confidence because of what you are and where you are and who you are in him. Paul's saying, well, I'm confident. I'm persuaded absolutely that what he's begun, he's going to finish. There's no doubt about it whatsoever because it's him. He's the one that's doing it. He's the one I've got the confidence in. Peter 1 Peter chapter 1, notice what he says beginning in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your inheritance is reserved there for you, who he says will be kept by the power of God. The only thing you've got is the same thing that saved you through faith. That's our access to it. By believing him, by trusting him, we find that in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and again, most of you know, if I had to pick one favorite chapter in all the Bible, I love all God's word, but this would be it. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 1 said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, truly in Christ, truly with Him, there's something wrong if you're still trying to follow the way of the flesh. Something bad, bad, bad wrong. If you're lost, it'll take you straight to hell. If you're saved, you got a lot of misery in your path if you don't turn around. You can't go that way. You're walking in the Spirit now. Act like who you are. Don't try to act like the world who you're not anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I love these verses. I tried to figure out where I could possibly leave off and not read it all because of time. He begins in verse 18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? But we hope for what we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you belong to God? Verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You can't be saved and not be conformed to the image of his son. The word of God says that that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. You've heard me say it before. It's all past tense. As far as God's work is done, it is as good as complete. It's finished. That which he has begun, it will be completed unto you. Those that have truly been called, that have truly been saved, that have truly been converted, will be glorified. It's God that's already predetermined that you will be just like his son one day. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I don't care what any of them say or what any of them done. Christ is the one that did the job. Christ is the one that saved me. Christ is the one that is there interceding for me at this time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I dare you to find anything that's not considered in there somewhere. What can separate you from God? Absolutely nothing. It is in complete, total utter impossibility. For our last reading in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 
Notice what this says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should what? that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, boy, we could dwell there, but the Bible makes it so clear of what you have in Christ. Your inheritance is eternal. You're sealed and preserved by the Holy Spirit himself. That was the down payment. You know, you can get into all kind of things, and that's definitely not where we're going today when it comes to predestination and foreknowledge and all of these things of God. I'll tell you this with absolute certainty. Read your Bible. The one thing that is certain, once you become a child of God, which God already knew what you were going to do before the foundation of the world, but he didn't pro program you like some robot to where you had no choice in the matter. But God knew you. God knew what you were doing. You know what God planned for you? According to what we just read, that one day you'd be just like his son. That he's going to complete that work in you. It's been predestined by God. 
You can't become one of his and not become like his son. You can't become his child and then just fall off the path somewhere. That's totally contradicting so much of what we've read today. You see, scriptural salvation is sound, it's sure, and it's secure. I close with this simple question. I really don't want to ask any of you today about your religious standing, your church standing, your sincerest and heartfelt intentions. I don't want to ask you about your experiences and your feelings and what you've thought and what you haven't. I don't even want to ask you about the words that you may have spoken in prayer or even in public. I don't want to know what you've done or not done yourself. But what I'd like to ask you about is this, which I believe is fundamentally foundational to our Christian faith. Have you been scripturally saved? Do you know that you've been scripturally saved? You see, it's only scriptural salvation that will do. Nothing, nothing else in all the world will suffice. Scriptural salvation alone is the only sound salvation. It's the only one that will really save you. It's the only one that's sure. And it's the only one in which you can be secure for all of eternity. That's God's salvation. Folks, may this preacher... May you as a child of God, may this church never make the slightest move away from what is the one and only scriptural salvation that's out there. I don't care what they all say. I don't care what all of Christendom says. I don't care what all the big name preachers say. I'm saying may we stick to the word of God. May you know because today you don't need to doubt. There's something wrong if you're doubting your salvation. Preacher, the devil comes sometimes and make people doubt. Yeah. It's wrong for you to let him do that if you've been scripturally saved because I'm saying don't base it on anything except what we've seen. Did God show you your sinfulness? And when he did, did you humble yourself before him? Turning away from that sin, not hanging on to it, turning away from it, turning to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, asking forgiveness, asking for God's mercy, not because you deserved it, but because of what Jesus Christ had done in your stead. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that suffered for you. He's the one that shed his blood for you. Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? Because that's the payment that was paid for them. And that's the payment that you're claiming. Have you given your life to him? Have you gone that direction that only he can take you? Are you sure of that? If you are, you can be secure. If the devil comes to you, just give him a good big black eye. Get away, devil. Why? Because my salvation is based here. I've shared my testimony. I based it on a whole lot of things, trying to remember what I'd said and what I hadn't said and all the... Till one day, 
It came to grounding it in the Word of God. I know that's what I did. If there's any doubt, today's the day to do it. You can't go through life doubting it. Scriptural salvation, make sure. Nobody's going to think bad of you for it. Christians are going to rejoice with you to know it. Lost people don't care anyway. Today, you need to know that. And today, folks, we need to stick and stand and fight for a scriptural and biblical salvation. Father, you know the hearts of everyone here today. Lord, you know that we've tried to cover a lot of territory in a short time, but I pray, Lord, I pray that because of your word that you can help people to understand, Lord, what the security of our salvation is really all about. It's got to begin with a sound salvation that's based upon your word, that's done as you command us to do. Only in that can we have the surety of truly being saved. Only in that can we have the security that it will last us for eternity. I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of each one. I pray that each one would today respond in whatever they, way they need to do so. Of course, in Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.